0: been on my heart these last few days and no matter how hard I feel like I study and prepare for some of these things, there's always that sense of inadequacy, of not being able to really get to the depth of what I know that God is attempting to communicate. So I truly do pray that he uses me as a vessel as we begin to dive into a new series this month. And today I'm excited for the very first time that we are going to go through a book of the Bible together. I don't know if we'll make it through the whole book, but we're at least going to start the book of the Bible. And as we go through this amazing letter from the Apostle Paul, I just want you to keep in mind that God's Word is powerful and it's alive. It's His words that change you. It's not my words. It's not who I am. It's His words that have the power not only... To cause you to see something different, but also the, the power to transform you, to t- change literally the trajectory of your life. Right here, Hebrews 4.12 4, says, the word of God is living, and is powerful. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to dive into some of the things that we talk about this morning. I often liken God's word or his promises to that of an ocean. It's one thing to stand on the side or the seashore and just begin to look at the vastness, the the majesty of the ocean. But it's a completely different thing when you put on some scuba gear and you go and explore the depths of that ocean. The things you will find and discover and you realize that no matter how many years you dive into that ocean, you never fully discover everything that it contains. The same thing is true with God. The same thing is true with this word is that no matter how many times I have studied this letter that we're going to talk about, there's still so much that it contains. It's literally like the word is alive, that there's just a depth to it. That the more you dive in, the more you go, holy, how does it ever end of the revelation that's contained in the word? And I know some of you may not experience that when you pick up your Bible. I know some, some of you, maybe it's boring or you don't fully understand what it's saying. And I pray that as we go through this book, you'll discover how it is that we study the Bible, but also how we, how it is that we can dive into the revelations that it contains. Because it's one thing to read the Bible. It's one thing to simply know what it says. But it's a completely different thing when you experience it for yourself and you realize that How deep, how much revelation God's Word truly wants to give each and every one of us. Oftentimes we go through dark seasons of our life. So we make phone calls to friends and family. We ask for prayer and we do all these things. But sometimes, and although all those are good, sometimes we lack one thing or neglect one thing. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. And often times I believe that if we neglect this, we will have a very difficult time navigating through life the way that God has called us to navigate. So would you open up in your Bibles, if you have them, or on your phones, to Ephesians chapter 1. And this passage that we're going to read this morning, from chapter 1, is actually one long Greek sentence. 200, oh, not that I'm just go to the title. Yeah. 202 words, that's how long this sentence is. To people who love to study the Bible, that's amazing. To teachers, that's a run on sentence that does not belong. <laughs> to me, this is God inspired. 202 words without one period. In our English Bibles, there's periods, but in the Greek, there was not one. But before we read this passage together, I think it's important for us to understand that when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were a proclamation of the Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they proclaimed the Gospel. When you look at the the book of Acts, it was a demonstration of the Gospel. And when you read the letters from Paul, they were an explanation of the gospel. The reason why that's important is because as you look at the Bible and you look at the whole thing, you, you see that there's this proclamation in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about who Jesus is and what He came to do. In the book of Acts, we see, man, it was demonstrated. We saw people do amazing things that God's Spirit fell upon a group of people and they were doing some miracles in that day. But when Paul wrote what he wrote and what we're about to go through today, it explains now the gospel. The difference between the two is if you take a photograph of your body, you have a picture. If you take an x-ray, you now have an internal picture of your body. That's what Paul does. It's almost like he had the ability by God to reveal him what's the depth, what's behind the outward understanding of the gospel. That Jesus died for me, yes, but now somebody explain what that means to me. And how does it affect my personal life so that I can walk into things that God has called me to walk in. So Paul's revelation that we're going to go through today explains the necessity of the crucifixion of Christ and what actually happened in the spirit realm. Because remember, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. We're not called to walk by what we see all the time. We're called to live by this trusting of, God, you said you did this. Help me understand it, now I believe it. So the four Gospels show us what man saw. But Paul's epistles, the ones specifically that we're going to go through today, it shows us how God sees things. He explains what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven and he secured our redemption for all of us by his blood. And so the epistles that we're about to read or this letter that we're about to read is actually Jesus speaking. Oftentimes you look in your Bible and you'll see in the Gospels, you'll see are letters in red. Those are letters that Jesus spoke, that somebody heard, and they wrote them down. Well, oftentimes we think that Paul's letters were just by Paul. But no, Paul was revealed these by Jesus himself, which could not have been revealed until after Jesus left this earth. So we're going to read 14 verses in Ephesians chapter 1. Are you ready? Let me get ready Ephesians chapter 1, going to read verses 1 through 14. It says these words. It won't be on the screen, Jackson. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted In the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in a dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In Him we also obtain an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him. Is anybody still following me? Okay. Just check. Works all things according to the counsel of His will that we who first trust in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and glory of God. That is a mouthful right there. And we're going to cover just two verses this morning. But I believe as we dive into these things, I want you to get an understanding of what Paul is actually saying. Because at face value, it sounds great. It sounds a little bit different. We don't fully grasp what is Paul trying to convey to us. And I pray, honestly, that as I'm up here, that I'll be able to somehow communicate the depths of these words to you this morning. But a few things that we should understand about the book of Ephesians. First and foremost, it was a letter. It was a letter from an apostle named Paul, who was in prison at Rome. He's writing to the believers to encourage them at a time that was very difficult for himself, because the prisons of those days were not pretty. You didn't get fed just uh, on a regular basis. They were dungeon-like, and so he was writing from a place of despair, but he was encouraging a church that he had spent three years building up.
1: And this letter is
0: considered to be Paul's masterpiece, theologically speaking. Like nothing compares to it. Like Romans is a great understanding of what salvation is, but this is a depiction of this magnitude that nobody, nobody at this time understood what he was about to write. Nobody ever heard the words that he was about to put on paper at this time that this letter that Paul wrote, it literally packs everything that is essential for us to walk in this new life. Now think about this. If you don't know Ephesians, if you haven't studied or read it, and this is the very book that now helps you understand how to walk in this new life, I think we can agree that we're going to have a challenging time if we have not first read Ephesians. I've gotten those... Furniture things from IKEA, and who in the world wants to go through all those instructions, right? Like 101 steps to put this four-legged chair together. It's like I, people, was like I got this. Like we we don't need them. Sarah, Sarah, we don't need those. Okay. Me and Carly are perfectly capable of the Oftentimes, <laughs> what happens is we do the same thing in life. We we, we we just go, I don't I don't understand it, so we don't understand it. I'll figure it out as I go. And that is a recipe for a wobbly chair <laughs> that I cannot withstand a lot of pressure, amen. And so this epistle is known as the epistle of grace. Oftentimes me and Jim were just talking about this the other day. Grace gets such a bad rep, like we're so fearful that the more we talk about grace, the more that we're giving people the freedom to truly live however they want, when in fact it's the complete opposite. The more you're introduced to grace, the more you feel empowered to live the life that you've been called to live. And so this uh, letter that was written by Paul, who is of the Pharisees of the Pharisees, now is writing an epistle of grace, which is going to... Really wrecked all those who are religious about to read this letter. This book is also known. I thought this was real interesting. There is a place in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul says that God took him to the third heaven and revealed things that were too great to even talk about. In Ephesians, it has been said, Ephesians is the very things that God showed him when he took him up. That he literally had this out of body experience and said, I saw a man who was in Christ who was taken up into the heavens and God revealed things to him. And it says that he was given a thought of flesh that he may remain humble because of all that he saw that God downloaded through. Think about that for a moment. You literally are now given this revelation by God, which you don't even have a clue how deep it really is and how God is you to go and present that to as many people as possible. So if you understand the revelations that are in this letter, which I'm going to do my best to help you understand these things, you'll truly know what it means to be chosen, to be adopted, and to be accepted as a child of God. When you grasp this, you leave these doors going, I've been chosen, like handpicked. Every single one of you has been chosen by God. Picked every single one by name. And you have been adopted. He chose you. He said, you are now mine. You are in, You know what it means when you adopt a kid? Guess who's responsible for that kid? The one who adopts. And I just want to remind you that God adopted you. He is now the one who is responsible to take care of you. And not only that, he has made you accepted in the beloved, so you can walk about out, out of these doors today, being completely, 100% secure, knowing that God has chosen you, adopted you, and he has accepted you. Now look at this. Right? Go forward a little bit. Chapter number three. Jackson, you can put that in the screen. Ephesians three. And the reason why I'm reading this is because it's going to explain what we're about to go through. Uh, chapter number one says, for this reason I Paul, the prisoner, writing from the prisoner of Rome, of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If indeed you had heard, now look at this, very key word, I know it's a big one, but dispensation of grace. So before this dispensation of grace, which is epistles, understanding the, the grace of God, there is what is called a dispensation, or a, a the dispensing of the law. That's what the Israelites lived through. The law of God, which was God's righteous standard. So he said, now I'm about to dispense something that is greater than the law. It's grace. And he says, of God, which was given to me for you. How that by revelation he made known to me, right here, the mystery. As I've already written briefed briefed already, look at verse 4 through 6. By which this revelation, when you read it, you may understand. I want to encourage you, when you read it, when you spend time to this book of Ephesians, he said, here's the result. When you read my letter, you pass it on and continue to pass this letter on. He says that you may understand my knowledge now in this mystery of Christ, which in other ages... Nobody before this time. We are privileged. Like we don't realize how privileged we are that we have this at our disposal. And He says, other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his apostles and his prophets that the Gentiles, which is us, should be fellow heirs. This is awesome. Of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ. So he was, Paul was given this revelation that says it's not just for the Jews. This revelation that grace comes is also for those were Gentiles. That they now may be one body. You no longer have a division among us. Why? Because we have one Savior and one Lord and one Spirit who now dwells within us. And that the Jews don't have one different God than we do. They don't have a different Savior than we do. They don't have a different Spirit than we do. And so Paul is now un- unpacking this for us. So let's dive into this amazing letter together. One that was written by Paul in prison To a church that desperately needed to be reminded of his goodness and of their identity in Christ. But before we look at the first verse, there's a story I came across that I thought was quite interesting. There was a lady named Hetty Green. And she was one of the wealthiest women, women, to ever live. They actually gave her a title, America's Greatest Miser. She was worth $100 million when she passed away. And I want to read these few things because I feel like there's a connection between her and many of us in this room when it comes to the riches that Christ wants to give all of us. She lived her life and she ate old or cold oatmeal because she wanted to save money on her heating bill. Her son's leg had to be amputated because she spent so much time looking for a free clinic instead of being willing to pay for one that cost money. She died after an attack, listen to this, of, I'm going to say this long apop- apoplexy. It was a stroke of a sudden uh, deprivation of sense of voluntary motion. you know why it was brought it upon? was that she was having an argument with somebody over the value of skim milk over whole milk because she said skim milk was cheaper. Hetty Green did not enjoy the riches that were hers. The book of Ephesians is a Bible or a book or a letter that is filled in telling us about all the riches that are available to every one of us. It's like your account has been completely connected to the Heavenly Father's account. And he says, "All the peace that you'll ever need, right there." And you know what we do sometimes? You know, I really don't. I don't want to ask this all the time because I don't know if I'm really deserving. You know, I really don't want to keep on going back and going back for more mercy and more grace and more peace and more joy because I'll just take a little measure of it. And so I want. Hopefully, all of us to come to the place where we go, wait, I have access to everything that Jesus had access to. You mean I can have all the peace that I ever want every single day, 24 hours a day I can have all the peace? Yes, you just have to access it. Do you mean you can have all the joy you want? This is not a perfect life I'm talking about. None of these promises exempt us from circumstances. None of these promises exempt us from our expectations being disappointed. But what it does say is, you know what, in the midst of somebody doing you wrong, I will give you all the power you need to forgive that person with love. That you can have all the love you need so you can love your enemies and you can love those who are lovely. That's the riches that he's given us. If you're worried and troubled in your mind, you want peace? Peace is all accessible. And sometimes we live with the sense of worry and fear and disappointment and discouragement and despair simply because... We feel like, well, maybe that's what God wants from you. When you have a bank account full of the riches that we're about to go through in just a moment. We are heirs of who? God. You're an heir of who? God. And you're a joint heir with who? Christ. Christ. I want you to be reminded of that. You are an heir of God so that whatever it is that he has available, it's available also for you and I. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1. You can put that in the strange accent. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Three words that we're going to look at, the will of God, saints, and in Christ. Three terms that we're going to cover today. But I just want to just take a, a, a small amount of time to just remind you about a few things when it comes to the will of God. Remember that God is always good. He always has your best in mind. And he's always setting you up to succeed in him. Like that's God's disposition toward you is that he's always good toward you. He will never not one day not be good toward you. He is always good toward you. He always has your best in mind. And he is always setting you up to succeed in what he's called you to do. And that's why when you fully trust that, when he says we're going to go this way... And this way seems harder than that way. You can go, at least I know this. If God's leading me this way, he's always good to me. And he always has my best in mind. So there must be a reason why he's leading me this way and not leading me this way. Because oftentimes we get so fixated on where we want to go or where we think we should go or why we're not there. When God goes, will you trust me? Will you trust that I'm good, Justin? Will you trust that I have your best in mind? Like, I'm not trying to do this to punish you or hurt you or, or or cause you to be disappointed or to punish you. And I will always, Justin, set you up to succeed in what I told you to do. So if I told you to pastor a church, Justin, I'm going to take you through a route to prepare you and strengthen you and cause you to see things differently. Why? Because I want to set you up to succeed as a pastor. So that you'll see my people rightly, you'll treat them rightly, you'll lead them rightly. And so I have to trust that whole process that God, you're always good. Even when I don't feel like it, I don't see why do I have to go through this. But God, I know you always have my best in mind. And that whatever it is I'm going through must be setting me up to succeed in something that you've told me to do. Which he doesn't always reveal. Some of you are being set up to succeed in something that you have no idea that he's even calling you to. But he's preparing each and every one of us. Jesus was our example. He made two statements that I hope that we would get downloaded in our heart. He said, I have come to do my Father's will. That at the end of the day, hopefully, that's the only thing that matters to us. So when somebody does you wrong, I can just see God going, okay. You can do it your way, or you can do it according to my will. Okay, what's your will, God? I want you to love your enemies. I want you to forgive, Justin, those who have done you wrong. And those who are saying things that are critical of you, I want you to let it go. All right, what's another way, Lord? <laughs> and I realized that Jesus said, I encourage you to do Father's will. If I see him do it, I'll do it. If I hear him say it, I'm going to say it. And then when he was in the garden, at the end of his life, he said these words, not my will, but So that just shows me that I do have a different will than God. And then there's times where my will will become the forefront of my mind saying this is the best thing to do. And that's why Solomon in his wisdom said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, on your own way. Acknowledge Him in all that you do. And God will then direct your path. And so I have to practice all the time, just in not your will, but your Father's be done. So find out what your Father's will is in this situation. Because I truly believe this, that true joy is not in having your own way, but in yielding to God's way. We learn that as kids. That sometimes we are helping our kids understand that there's certain things that you want. But isn't it true when we do the same thing as adults, that we just want certain things. And the Israelites did the same thing. They said, we want a king. don't want a king. We want a king. No, you don't want a king. I'll be your God for you. We want a king. Okay, but if you have a king, he's going to rule you harshly. You don't want a king. We want a king. Okay, have a king. I know you can push God to the point where he goes, okay, have it. But it's not going to be a blessing to you. That's That's where, man, I'm just so grateful to God that he loves us the way that he does where he goes you know what? No, you don't want that. Yes I do. No, you don't. And he'll send what? People into our lives that will speak into our lives and you know what? We're just so convinced I want that. And he'll do anything and everything to make sure that you know that's not what you truly want. That it will not produce what you hope it will. It'll produce a momentary pleasure, but it will not produce true joy. So his will is great. And he doesn't compare it to what we want all the time. He doesn't go, I want to show you why mine's better. He just goes, will you trust me? That I'm always good and I always have your best in mind. So the will of God is not a roadmap. It's not God, okay, um, left to right, straight, back, how many miles, how much time. That's not it. The will of God is a relationship. It's flowing with the Father. It's being sensitive to what the Father has inside your life. So the will of God, you, He has a will for you today. I don't know what that is, but He has one for you today. And so let me just encourage you when it comes to God's will that His will is perfect. His will is always good, and His will is accomplished in your life as a result of you yielding to His His uh, leading. That as we yield, like a potter in clay, as we yield. His will is accomplished. You don't have to go, God, what's your will? And then I'll accomplish it. And I just, this thought came to me the other day, and I thought it would be so freeing for a lot of people, myself included. What if we stopped asking God, Lord, what is your will for my life? And just said, God, what are the gifts that you've given to me? I will steward those gifts, and as I steward those gifts, they will cause me to walk in His will. That's good. Because I found so many people anxious. God, what college do you want me to go to? So they fast, they pray, and they worry, 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 which one do you want? And he and John Walter are having a weird conversation about this, is that he's not so much interested in what college you go to, he's interested in what kind of students you're gonna be. He's not as interested in where you're gonna live, he's interested in what kind of neighbor you're going to be. He's not interested in, okay, no, that spouse, no, no. no that spouse. No, because I can tell you It doesn't matter if you marry the perfect spouse. There will be moments in your life where you go. That is not a perfect spouse. Right? And so it's not about that. It's what kind of spouse will you be. That's God's will for your life. Is you. It's where you are. How you respond. How you live your life. And I just find far too many people stressing about what God wants for their life. What is your will for life? God, what is this and this? He goes, Hey. I gave you some gifts. Start using those gifts and watch as you use them. They will cause you to walk in opportunities that will just lead you to the will that I have for Amen. So if you. So Ephesians chapter one, we'll back to it, it says for the will of God to the to the sinners. Or to the saints. To who? I was debating. I should have if anybody thinks they're a sinner stand up if anybody thinks they're a saint stand up I find a lot more sinners in this room than saints What I'm about to share with you all I ask is this study it yourself truthfully Acts 17 11 says these were more noble than those who were in Thessalonica in that they received the word with gladness And then they went home and they studied to see if those things that Paul taught were true. I want to encourage you to do that. But before you go and study, receive first. Because oftentimes if you have a critical wall to what somebody says when you go and study, you will only find what your critical eye is sending you to. If you receive it with gladness, not fully sure whether you buy into what I'm about to share with you, because of how you've been programmed for so many years by religion, that's okay. Just receive it first, at least a posture of receiving, and then go home and study to see whether or not these things that I'm about to share with you are true. That word saint also means holy one. It refers to those who have been set apart for a specific purpose, for a relationship with the Creator who is now our Father. Now think about this. Paul wrote this letter to the who? Who? Saints who are in Ephesus. Did he know all of their situations personally? Did he know what they did behind closed doors? And yet he still addressed them as what? Doesn't that seem dangerous to you? Don't you think you'd put both? Like, to all the saints and sinners who are in Ephesus, but he labeled them something and he did it for a specific reason because he's about to write This mystery that God gave him. And now he's addressing people as saints. Now this is a radical, upside down way of looking at humanity. Because all we've known is that we're what? Sinners. And at the depth of who we are, we are radically sin filled. And God knows how depraved we are. And yet Paul radically shifts them by going to all the saints.
1: Because our idea of saints
0: time is that you have to be pious or really holy to be maybe a saint or you have to be dead and now on a Catholic church somewhere, right? <laughs> right? That's what a saint is to us. Somebody who lived their life, their martyrs for the gospel and so now we can classify them as a saint based upon what they did. Or you know what? They're so pious and holy and yeah, they're just Amazing people, that yeah, they're truly a saints. But me, I'm a yep, we got that now, don't we? Boy, if I can persuade you in 20 minutes of time, that will be like magical. That's a whole horrible word to use in church service. <laughs> so please forget that I said that. How you know, often do you we view yourself as sinners instead of saints? The law, which is God's righteous standard, which was actually never meant to make anybody righteous. It was, it was to direct people toward the grace of God. It no longer defines me. So the law, this is why Paul said there is no condemnation to those who are aware in Christ. So the law can no longer define me in the courtroom of God. So when the law says he's a liar or he's this or he's this or he's this, or, he's this that's when the law condemns me. What does grace say? Justify. Because of who? Jesus. So the law no longer defines me and says, Justin, you're a sinner. And Grace now stands up and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a new sheriff in town, and I define him as saint. And as he starts to see himself as how I see him, which is a holy one set apart for my purpose, that's when he'll start to walk in those very things. And so many of us are trying to change the outward thing. I shared this, I, I, it came out of my mouth when I was preaching at Freedom Church last week. But anytime you have a cleaning lady come to the house, what do you do before she comes? <laughs> right? And that is what we do with God. We try to make ourselves as pretty as we possibly can so that He doesn't have to deal with so much of our junk, He just has to deal with a little bit, which we're okay with because He knows I'm human. Right? ourselves up. How many are trying to do that to make themselves think better, look better, act better, uh, be a better Christian when in fact God goes, oh man, you don't fully understand. You're a saint. You have God, You don't know my book. Don't even talk to me about that past because I don't really remember what you're talking about. So Paul's most used word to define believers in the scriptures is the word saint. He uses it 40 times in this one letter. Like I've only been preaching on this for 10 months and you guys are probably sick of it, but in one letter 40 times over and over and over and over he refers to them as what? Saints. So when he speaks of saints he is referring to ordinary Christians, not those who have passed away and lived the holy life. Every believer is a what? Saint. Why? Because we've been placed in Christ, separated from the power and the grip of sin. We've been separated unto God for a holy purpose in serving His will. So there should be no reluctancy in your mind as identifying yourself as a saint. Why? Because the only reason you struggle to say, I'm a saint, and why it's easier to say, I'm a sinner, it's because over here, you have all the proof that you need. And over here, it takes 100% faith. And the just shall live by faith. faith. And that's why we talk of those things. Because I live by faith in what who Jesus did for me, not what I have done at all. all saints is given to us because of what Christ did for us. So Jackson can put this on the screen. The Christian life is about embracing a like new life. It's not about fixing your old life. I'm going to say this one more time in a different way. What I find a lot of believers doing is they going okay. I'm a believer now. And that's what it looks like to be a Christian. So I'm going to now try to make myself look more like that. I'm going to try to make myself look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, think more like Jesus, do more like Jesus, because that sounds noble. And so what we do is we do our best through discipline and all these exercises to make ourselves a better Christian or a better looking, sounding, hearing Christian. But I want to encourage you. It's about embracing a new life that has been given to you. It's not about fixing your old one where you go, you know what, I really need to deal with this and deal with this and deal with this and I struggle with this. God's going, I got a new life for you. Oh, and this new life comes with everything you need to do to live just like my son Jesus did. And then we have to learn how many older folks who are learning how to use iPhone here. (laughs) Carl? a giggle of recognition like that is for sure. I did at least him at least one time every day on something new that the phone can do. But I truly believe the Holy Spirit does the same thing in our life. going oh, Justin, did you know that your new life, you don't have to be angry at that person. Yeah, but I feel so bad. I know, I know. know, Justin, I just want to show you this new life, you don't have to be. There's a powerful thing called forgiveness. That will put those emotions to the side. That you don't just bottle them up. Christianity is not bottling them up and trying to make your old man say, don't come. Do not come out today. Okay, we're about to go into the church and do not come out today. You stay in there and you shut up until we get home. That's what we do with our old man. And God's like, you've been crucified. Your old man is dead. Somehow he slows the voice. It's weird. But he's dead. I just want to encourage you that it's about embracing this new life, this new life that I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Look at Colossians chapter 3. So we're going to, if you've ever seen, and I should post this on Facebook, but Ephesians and Colossians have about 42 identical verses that correlate with each other. It's almost like he wrote the same letter to a different people, but you remember all the stuff he wrote in Ephesians. So Colossians 3 says this, where you have acquired a new life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God in this new life. I love this. Your nationality makes no difference. Your ethnicity makes no difference. Your education, who's smart here? Alright, so we have five. Who's not smart? We need some rich people here. <laughs> that was selfish, wasn't it? <laughs> um say said they matter nothing. We come in here all together. that uh, was spent by here yesterday. And she said this, and she goes, I hope it doesn't offend you, because I asked for some of the things that she's really taken from you day. And she said, I'm realizing, Justin. That you and I are on the same plane. That's, That's right. That's cool. Yeah. That Justin, you're not here, and I'm here. That the rich are not here, and the poor are here. That the smart are not here, and the. What's the opposite of smart? The <laughs> street smart <scarves> are better. <laughs> and so what happens is because of Christ's new life, we've all been given the same life, the same identity. With different personalities. That's why your personality should never be gone when it comes to who God has called you to be. And sometimes we like to be like that, or preach like that, or minister like that, or do, I want to be like that person over there because they're more zealous. No, your personality is is the way that God wired you. He all gives us the same life. Amen? So in other words, how we formally identified ourselves no longer applies. Your past no longer applies. Your race, your cultural background, your sex, or your social distinction no longer applies to you in the kingdom of God. What matters is who we are in Christ and how our Heavenly Father sees us and defines us. This is why it's been easy for me to treat every single one of you the same. And I know a lot of your junk. And you've been free to share that with me because you, I realize, and you know that I know, we're still all the same because you have the same new life. You just haven't maybe learned how to walk in the life that somebody else maybe has stepped into. And we're all learning together. We're all growing together. So it doesn't matter where you come from, and that is that you're here, and that you have the life that Jesus has given you. Amen. So we hope. He sees us as his children and we're ready now for him to work through us. This term "saint," I love this, also includes the idea of taking something filthy and somehow, by God's amazing grace, causing it to become something brand new and used for a new purpose. So something that was filthy, unusable, no longer does somebody want it to be part of their their, their toolbox, God goes watch. I'm going to now refurbish that, but I'm going to make it brand new, and it's now going to serve a brand new purpose. What a picture of that is of our salvation in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were filthy with sins as it were, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration by the Spirit of God, we were made new. You have been given a new life. Your past is no more. You are a new creation. One that has never, ever existed before. And this is why he calls us saints. He doesn't look and go, man, they have a bad past, and I'm going to cover that with the word saint. No. He did away with your... Pass. He did away with sin. He did away with who you used to be. And he goes, look, I just made you. A new workmanship in Christ Jesus who is prepared for every good work. You are now a saint. So how many saints do we have here today? 30 It's rising. You were walking by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are now been set aside for His purpose. And so oftentimes, the reason why we don't walk in the purpose that God has given to us is because we don't feel like we are deserving. We don't feel like we're qualified. And He says, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're never qualified. You're never deserving. That's why I gave you a new life. And a new identity. And it comes with this grace to do what I've called you to do. So trust that you're not a pastor because you earned this. I called you to it. It's a call on your life. It's a purpose I give it to you, and this new life and I'll let you do that. I've heard of this position. I just touched my leg. So my wife and my mom have a bed. My wife says I touch my face too much when I minister. My mom says I touched my leg too much when I minister. I have a chapstick and it just, I don't know. I'm a saint, thank you. I try to tell my wife that all the time. I never go to well. uh, She's like, well, just do what you forgot to do. Go okay? uh, on, you're, you're a saint. So we are washed in the blood of Christ and set apart for His purpose. Now we, as believing sinners, are made holy saints in His eyes. Look at this, Colossians chapter 1. I just want you to know I have no watch today, so... I don't know what that means, but I... Even though you were once what? You were once distant from him. I've a lot of people and I won't get into this, but a lot of people go, I just want to be closer to I remember a, a young lady I was sharing this with, I wrote a, a line on a piece of paper because she said I just want to be closer to God. And I took the same pen and I wrote a line on top of the other line and I said, How do you get these two closer? I didn't even say anything after that. She goes I, that is amazing. I don't have to get close to God. I just have to learn how to walk in the fullness or the oneness that I have already with God. Now look at this. We were once distant from Him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions. He reconnected you back to Himself, and He has released His supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of His own body as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in His presence. And now... You guys think that's so bad there? Oh boy. And now there is nothing between you and the Father. Oh, yeah, you're the There is nothing between you and the Father. There is nothing between you and the Father. There is nothing between you and your Father. So enjoy him. Enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy getting to know him. Enjoy him in working through your life, enjoy now what He has freely given to you. For He sees you. I, did, I, I truthfully did not write this. He sees you as what? Holy, flawless, and restored. That's how He sees you. And when you finally embrace the new life and stop fixing the old one, you go, okay, you see me as what? Holy? How in the world do you see that? That's what Ephesians is going to show us. Why he sees us like that? Wait, I'm flawless in your eyes? Just your flawless. That means I don't have to come to you about a flaw? No. And you're what? Restore Justin. We're good. Now let's live from that place instead of striving your whole life to get something that I already gave you. If you had a million dollars in the account and somebody gave it to you, you didn't have to come back and say, I know you gave me a million dollars yesterday, but I really need some lunch money. But I use money in the account. I'm just so undeserving of that, but I really need that. And that's how often we go back to God and go, God, I, just, I really just need this. But oh, wait, i blessed you, verse 3, i blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm. Everything is yours. You're therapy. All right, what time is it? Oh my goodness. Oh, that is such a bummer. That is, that is a, that's a bummer. All right, I'm just going to finish off this word, Saint, and I won't go into the next one. Jim, I think you're going to be preaching in March. <laughs> we must anchor our faith in the finished work of Jesus. That is our unchanging position in Christ. There is no basis for faith in our changeable, unfinished condition. Only Christ can affect any permanent changes in our lives. We must draw our strength from Him. We are called to be different because He has made us different. We are chosen not because we were holy, so that we would be made holy in Him. We are no longer guilty, no longer condemned or shamed, ridden sinners who now can't approach God. No, we are saints who have complete and total access because the blood that has cleansed us allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace 24 hours, 7 days a week. Amen? Amen. One more time, Jackson. He's in And Patty, please forgive me. I'm not going to do the illustration today. That. That, that must make you angry, I'm sure. So she, she went to Myers today. High five on hands. Okay, so Paul, you know what a five-hour man's means, so I hope you all know. It's like the Super Bowl is there one time. (laughs) Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to who the saints, this term actually in Ephesus, is actually not there in the original Greek, but they put it there because they feel like that was a letter he wrote to them, and faithful where? In Christ. And so we'll pick this back up next week, but I have a little illustration here, right? and this is how most of us are and this is how we come into the world we come into the world I didn't make up this illustration I saw it online but I thought it was really good we come into the world with sin and so sin is in us all so when you're introduced to religion religion says come on you need to act better you need to think better you need to do better We need to feel better. And so what we do is we try to fit into that Christian religious mold. Okay, so what do we need to do? Hey, you need to stop thinking those bad thoughts and start thinking better. Okay. Then we muster up the strength, but in our heart there's sin. And that keeps us going back to the same thing over and over and over and over and over over again. And so we make these resolutions to God. God, I won't look at that again. God, I won't do that again. God, I won't have an outburst of anger again. God, I won't have a uh, this, I won't let fear overtake me again. I won't have a panic attack again. God, uh, just set me free. And so we try our best to do what we're called to do. And this is why I really believe that God would call somebody to do that. Because they've strived for so many years in a religious world, and they're tired they're not seeing the changes that they hope they would see by applying religion to their life. And so we simply do our best to do this. And so we get saved. And he places us in one called Christ. But it doesn't change the fact that there's still sin dwelling in us. I want you to see this because sometimes We get saved. How many have you ever judged somebody going, if they're saved, then why do they act like that? (laughs) And then you look in the mirror and you go, huh. That's hypocritical. But what he did in a thing called regeneration, it's a powerful term, but regeneration is a miracle of God. Justification is where you're made right in the courtroom of heaven regeneration is where He has literally changed what is inside of you. If you have somebody go to prison and they have a 10-year sentence and they serve that 10-year sentence but their heart never changes, guess what they're going to do when they get out? The same thing that took them back in there. 80% of people who leave prison go back there. Why? Because their heart never changed. But what God said, I'm going to do in this new covenant is I'm not only going to place them in Christ. But I'm also going to deal with this thing called sin. This thing, the power, the grip of it, is going to be completely forgotten. And I'm going to place my Holy Spirit on the inside of them. I'm going to give them my spirit and my word. I'm going to take the heart of flesh, or a stone, out of them. I'm going to put a heart of flesh inside them. So now, you are now encompassed in Christ. But also, Christ is now where? In you. Amen. So this is why what he did is brand new. You no longer are the same person you used to be, and now in Christ we are also now placed. And you'll see in Colossians chapter, chapter three, verse number one and two, that we're in Christ now in God just as well. And what does he do? Not only does the Spirit dwell in us, but he says, "I am now going to put my Spirit upon you, and I'm going to seal it." Now this is really. It's more powerful than I thought it would be, actually. And then he seals us with his Holy Spirit and says, this is a guarantee that you are mine until I come back and bring you back home. And now this, you're a saint. And you didn't do a single thing except God repositioned you, and he put you where? In Christ. And so that's what we'll talk about next week. Amen. I pray for you. Worship him to be coming up. Father, I just pray ooh, that these words.